Welcome, everybody, to the Real Deal Podcast, brought to you by paintballaccess.com. I am your host, Maddie Marshall. Excited to have Nick Slowiak, who has just decided finally, after a long <laughs> and arduous decision-making process, which team that he is going to play the 2015 season with. So we're going to listen to him talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are going to talk, um, you know, probably continue the conversation. Uh, we had a lot of people ask us on PSP's Instagram a bunch of questions. So we're going to continue the conversation about the changes in the rules. Uh, Nick, I know you've been playing the with semi-auto for the past couple of weeks. So I want to be able to pick your mind about that. Also, a really big shout out to all of the people that help make paintball access possible. Without their support, uh, we wouldn't be able to do these things. So please... Give them your support. Uh, Planet Eclipse, Die Precision, Key Action Sports. And, uh, yeah, man, it's really important, you know, heading into the 2015 year that that those companies get support because, you know, they're the ones, uh, and, you know, GI Sports as well, too. Um, you know, those are the companies, the movers and shakers, really, you know, putting money into teams and, and trying to, you know, help people live that paintball dream. So, with no further ado... Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you. And uh, so, Nick, how you doing? Yeah. Man? How you doing? Tell me a story, Nick. Tell me a story about your road to Upton 187 Cruise Crew. <clears throat> well, a story. Um, so it was one week after the PSP World Cup in which Houston Heat performed terribly. And I got a call from Randy Smith letting me know that my services would no longer be needed on Houston Heat, um, which was awesome because I was totally expecting that phone call a week after World Cup. Not I don't – you should have put the sarcasm on a little bit thicker there because I wasn't really <laughs> – I didn't really cast – was that sarcastic comment? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah maybe, a maybe a little bit. So, yeah, so it's a week after Cup. You get a call. It's Randy, the owner of Heat, and mm-hmm. – the axe gets dropped. What were you thinking at that exact time? Um, oh, shit. Kinda, or stoked kinda, or pissed or a bit of all of it, maybe? Uh, a lot. There were a lot of things going through my mind. Um, one, I talked to Yaya earlier in the day, and he said Randy would be calling me. And I had found out from Ronnie, who hit me up before Randy called me, that he got cut. And so I was like, huh. <laughs> Yaya told me Randy's going to be calling me. And, yeah, and Ronnie just got cut. This can't be good. So, uh, um, I mean, it was it was kind of shocking. I knew that I, I it was. We knew the Russians were coming back. We knew that that was going to happen, and changes were going to be made to the team. So you guys knew that already at Cup, then. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, my one of the the nicest things that happened at the end of World Cup, um, and you know, and watching those guys win, because um, those guys are my friends. Was walking off the field with Sergey, and he was like, "Bro, next year you and I we play together. It'll be great again, same team." And I was like. Yeah, except you're not getting my number back. <laughs> Dude, I just have to say, you're getting your Russian accent down pretty good, man. Can you say more stuff in Russian for us? In Russian? Yeah, not in Russian, we, but, you know, uh, in your fake, but I very, could, very, very, very close Russian accent. I want to hear it again. I could probably talk the whole night like this. Maybe. <laughs> so but, uh, did you, did you have, just because your last name is Sloviak, is the, are you Russian a little bit or Polish? I, or I'm Polish. Polish. I could be Russian. I don't know. 
So did you I, learn the accent by playing with those guys for a couple of years on Heat? Because a lot of people that maybe just came into the sport might not know. I mean, they maybe they came in last year and they're like, oh, these Russians were killing on Art Chaos as a Russian superstar team. But mm-hmm. lot, and if but two years before for the two years preceding that, those guys were on Heat with you and you guys won a bunch of tournaments. Four out of yes. ten. <laughs> they they definitely helped. It was I can remember the first couple times, well, the first week just being with Mishka, Fedorov, and Sergey. Um and and trying to imitate them when they were talking, mm-hmm. <laughs> when they were speaking Russian, and they were like, "Oh, very good, very good, Nikolai," and uh, they would teach me words to say, and um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed trying to speak Russian a little bit with them. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Did you learn any actual Russian words? I'm sure you learned all the cuss words. Right? Yeah, we got. I got all the cuss words down. I got all that down. So teach me a lesson. Life. How do you say? Uh, how do you say shit in Russian? I don't know shit. I don't know that one. I know. I would actually say you're quite intelligent, actually. Um. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so bust it out. Okay, so Zalupa, dickhead. That's a big one. Zalupa? Zalupa. Zalupa. Yeah, use that one. That's that's like a common one that people use. Dickhead, they call each other dickhead? Yeah, I heard heard Fedorov say that one quite a bit. Suka. Suka's bitch. Okay. Mishka, that's his favorite word. He always, under his breath, suka. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like stubs his toe, suka. Oh, yeah. He, he, he says that word a lot. Sergey Sergey was pretty quiet. He would speak Russian so quick, I wouldn't know what he was saying. But I, uh, I played a, a trick on my girlfriend. Um, I, she's like, oh, you know, we're just like in the car driving somewhere doing accents for fun. She's like, oh, let me hear a Russian accent. And so I did like a robot accent instead. I was like, this is my Russian accent. And she's like, that's really a Russian accent? I'm like, yeah. So it just I kept it going. And uh and I get it. Yeah, it was it was pretty <laughs> ridiculous. I still can't believe she fell for that. But um all right, so so you learned a bunch of cuss words. Uh you played won a bunch of tournaments with these dudes, and then so you knew at Cup that they were coming back. Yeah, we we had an idea that even before World Cup, we knew that our chaos wasn't gonna be a team. Um we knew that those guys wanted to come back. And play still, um, and I mean, I you know, why you wouldn't say no to them coming back? No, they're That's, arguably. I mean, come on, you know, you put their success yeah. rate in the past. I mean, just, we you could go, we could do a whole podcast about how amazing those dudes are. But yeah, yeah. So you didn't, so you didn't know at Cup that for sure that they were coming back, but it was it was out there. I would, I would have put a hundred, I would have put a hundred percent in. I knew that they were coming back. Um, there was no doubt in my mind. I didn't know about Malloy. Uh, I didn't know that he would be making the move, although it does make sense um, because he still wanted to play. And originally he was supposed to be on the squad. He just didn't make his flight, and that allowed Chad George to make the team, hmm. which is a little, I guess, extra bit of information. So, uh, so yeah, we, I knew that they were making their way back, and um, that was the one thing kind of going through my head when Randy was talking to me about you know, why – I was no longer needed for the team. I just like hey, just I wanted him just to tell me like, dude, just tell me that you're picking up the Russians and you're make you need to make four four spots in the team, <laughs> right? Like, you know, we, we can tiptoe around the issue of like, obviously, yeah, I'm not happy because I'm not playing. Like, who who would be happy that they're not playing? I <laughs> I want to play. I'm competitive. I want to win. I want to go out there and make a difference. And I've I've played against all these teams before on shock, and I've I've beaten them, and I've had a successful time. So. You know, I don't enjoy just sitting here and watching guys go out, especially when we're not doing well. I like to think I can go out there and make a difference. 
and what, shoot some people. You, I mean, you did. You know, when you got your reps, you did really well. That was an ongoing theme that that it seemed to come up over and over again. One that you weren't really getting a lot of spins. Two, when you did, when you did get spins, you put up some numbers. I can't remember the exact game. I think it was in was it Chicago last not last year but the year before. I can't remember. But there, you had some really stellar off the bench performances. But I think there's probably a lot of guys out there listening to this that could empathize with both. You know, I mean, that's everyone at some point on a team, whether you're just getting started or you know you got some whatever. Like everyone, not maybe not everybody, but a large percentage of players have to go through this at some point in their career. And having and in, in your interview that you did for us right right when the news broke. Um, you had some pretty thoughtful answers, I felt, about, you know, the mental hurdles that, that occur. You were pretty honest about that. And I felt that, you know, that that, that resonated with me. It resonated, I think it resonated with some people out there. And it would be kind of cool to kind of listen to a little bit more of your thoughts. I think some people out there might be helped with that. You know, like what what is the best mindset to have when you're in that situation? What you can do to better that situation to try to get more playing time? Um, you know, when, when to leave a team when you aren't getting the playing time that you maybe feel you deserve uh, and, and desire, and that's always a big thing too. It's like, well, you know, damn, I'm not getting the playing time here. I could go to this other team and play more. But, you know, I, th- there's a lot of those, those things that go on in people's heads. You know, so how did you deal with that? Um, I mean, it definitely was rough. It was easy. It's easy to make excuses. That's for sure. I mean, why you're not playing, um, you know, could you be playing better? Uh, you know, what, what does the coach see that you don't see, you know, what is he really thinking? Um, I mean, there's a whole, I guess there's a plethora of different things that you could, you could a lot affect that. But I guess ultimately for me, it was, it came down to, um, I mean, when it, when it was the Russians on the team, when it was in 2013, not this past season, I mean, I, I and the point was made, even Jason made that point, like, and some of the, and most of the guys on the team, like, why wouldn't you send those guys out there? I mean, those, those three guys teamed up with just about anyone on the squad could win you an event. And, you know, over those first two years, we won four out of four out of 10. Yeah. And we got, I think what, two, two second places, you know, third, fourth. So we were always right there. Um, so why wouldn't you put them out there? You know, I mean, and then this last season, uh, I, I know a part of me definitely just didn't care as much because it didn't seem to matter what I did. I wasn't just, I wasn't going to go out there and play. Right. I mean, I could go out there. Uh, I mean, going, so it was last, last Chicago, right. I had a, I think I had a really good tournament. We, we won the event. Um, but I didn't get to play a single point in the finals. Right. And like that really affected me. Cause I was like, man, I'm actually getting out there. I'm playing really well. I'm in front of my parents. My, all my family's out here finally make it to the finals in Chicago, the, like the biggest tournament I've always ever wanted to win. And I just got to sat there, like sit there. And that really, from that point on, I think up until, I mean, this whole year, that was always something I thought about, like, see, like it, it kind of fueled the, it doesn't matter what I do on the field or even in practice. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to get to play. I could go out there and I could, I could run through and shoot five guys and it's not going to make a difference. So that, that poison being in my mind definitely made me care a, a, a lot less. And in sometimes, well, in a few times during throughout this past year and uh, at practice, um, at events, right? I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't motivated to play, but it was just, well, you know, why try as hard? Well, I think also, too, it's it's one of those things that's like, 
it's not really, I guess, a care for what you wish for thing. It's just kind of reality, man. You know, it's you know, you have these hopes and dreams, and things happen, and reality happens, and you you're, you're put in certain situations. So your situation was play pro for a long period of time, help bootstrap shock back into relevance. Um, then that team falls apart. You end up in a dream situation where you're a pro paintball player. You're getting, you're on the best team. You're, you know, getting paid and, yep. uh, and <clears throat> you know, you're with a bunch of playing alongside legends, the team that you're on wins four out of 10 events, but you know, it's kind of one of those, all of a sudden the dream turns into a little bit of a nightmare because then you, now you're, you're kind of dealing with a lot of that self doubt because you're not getting the playing time. And it's, I mean, that's kind of got to be a really trying, I mean, I think you, I would, I don't know, do you feel like you emerged from that, from those trials mentally stronger? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's it's always nice to listen to hear what other people have to say and how the perspective that other people have from the outside and then from the inside. Uh, one of those blessings was, you know, I mean, Tim Montressor coming to the team. I've always liked Tim. I've always looked up to him. And I always enjoy talking to Tim and, and just getting his perspective on things. Yeah. He's a really smart dude. Tim's awesome. Uh, and I mean, talking to you about things. I mean, we've had plenty of conversations that have not been recorded. <laughs> yeah, lot, lot, hours of conversations <laughs> you know I mean? that have not been recorded. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's it's always good to, to hear what other people have to say. Yeah, um, uh, and then you have to you know f- find what motivates you to keep wanting to do it. I mean, there's never been a doubt in my mind that I, I would want to stop playing paintball. But you know, when you're at the top level, uh, and you know, my desire is to go out there and, and play and compete against the best, you have to have that drive to want to be the best you can be. And uh, that was something that mentally, it, like it, it lacked for me this past year, for sure. That was actually one of the the questions that came in from um, from Instagram was, do you really love paintball? And I think having, you know, going through something like that you went through, it kind of, you will, I think that when, when you're in the grind, that, you know, <laughs> mythical, stereotypical, cliched, you know, quote unquote grind that everybody always mm-hmm. talks about. But that's become a cliche for a reason, man. I mean, when you're when you are in the grind and you're playing just so much paintball, you're you are you are taking something that you played out of sheer pure joy. And then there's always an element to that, but there's a cert, there's a huge factor of the work involved to be an elite in that pursuit. And if you know, Nick Diaz, who's, you know, I love the UFC. He's definitely not the most eloquent MMA fighter ever, <laughs> but he, and they actually used it for, um, a promo, but it was for the, his upcoming fight against Anderson Silva for his comeback. But he, this was something he said. And I think it was when he was fighting George St. Pierre, um, like two years ago, he said that, you know, you need to push yourself you know, there's there's a lot of I can't remember his exact quote, but it was essentially something about the love hate relationship with with the the thing that you're doing. You know, you've got to push yourself so hard that you hate the training to really truly get to the point where you're good enough, so that you, when you get out there, you can perform at such a level where you love it. You know, which is a kind of you know, and again, it's Nick Diaz again, not the most eloquent dude in the world, but there's <laughs> there's a huge kernel of truth in there, and yeah. and you don't know that until you're you know, sometimes years into, you know, actively trying to become incredibly good at, at this, at this thing or anything, you know, that's, that's, again, one of the cool parallels about paintball is that it will teach you if you, you know, want to be dedicated at, you know, whatever it is. And, and this goes for whatever you do, you know, I mean, you want to play guitar well, you know, guess what, you're gonna have to play that bitch a lot for yep. it to, to sound like a mess. 
And, uh, and it's the same thing with paintball. So, you know, you kind of develop this, this diligence and the willpower it takes to, you know, put the hours and the time in to be good at things, even if, you know, you're in a situation where you're, you're because that was, that's basically where I'm getting at with this long-winded ass explanation of this thing. <laughs> but essentially, you know, is that you had, you know, I mean, he practiced more than pretty much anybody. You know, I put yeah, up we, the hours yeah, that he, you guys, yeah, you guys, I'd put up those hours that you guys put in uh, probably against any other team. And there's that, always that age-old question of, you know, how the grind will wind you down and, and make you stronger at the same time because it distills that will in you. But also that that's why it's called the grind is because it does get at you a little bit and then you have to mentally deal with that. So that must have been in there too. Yeah, I mean, it, in playing as much as we did, I think it, that led to a lot of complacency. I mean, we... We got really comfortable. You get so comfortable playing against your own teammates as much as we did, and we didn't play that many pro teams. And so it was easy to play points against ourselves, and you would, you would know what was going to happen. Um, it was very predictable. And people would just be like, oh, well, I mean, we're doing this really well here against ourselves, so it's, you know, it'll work that way at the events. I mean, yeah, we're, we're bouncing each other, but, I mean, those will be hits when we have you know, good – it was easy to make excuses. And – if you look at the way the year went, say for Chicago, um, where we took second, it was it was pretty bad. It was really bad. That and MAO because we played in the Challengers and we didn't lose a game. And so because I, I, I think a lot of people, you know, and I definitely want to get to these questions. I also want to get to what you feel about 187. We got some time, though. That's what the podcast is for. We have as much time as we want. Oh, yeah. Um, but a lot of people are probably wondering and would like a little bit of insight into – uh, you know, the heat program. Um, and then also, you know, uh, not only that, but a little bit of insight into what happened this year that kept heat from performing to the levels that had pre previously played up to you, you know, one, some people have some commenters had said, okay, well, it's easy one. It's because they didn't have the Russians. But when you look at the talent that Randy had assembled for the 2014 squad, that's a team that could win tournaments. I mean, look what happened to you guys in Chicago, you ended up losing, um, to impact in Chicago. Uh, yeah. but that was a, that, you know, you guys played awesome at that event. Moorhead was on fire in the snake coming off that torn Achilles tendon that he had. I mean, it was a really good tournament for you guys. And I was, and I thought that was going to be the turning point. I was like, okay, heat's heat's back. They had a little bit of a stumble, but you know, they're back, but it didn't pan out that way. And things got worse after that. And I think some people kind of want the book opened a little bit to, to try to figure out why, what do you think? Uh, well, I mean, the Russians definitely had a big, I mean, that's, yeah, those three guys, and even looking at uh, now this year with what they're going to have with, with Malloy on the team, those four guys watching them play in, at the California event and World Cup single-handedly could win you an event. Um, so, I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. But uh, in, in going into this year, I think it, it practices might have hurt you know playing as much as we did even though we made somewhat of a conscious decision to kind of take it down a little bit we still shot i mean well over 200 cases of paint in that week the week and a half two weeks leading up to an event um and i think it was just some <clears throat> excuses like I, I kind of said before i mean we would we'd bounce people at practice and we'd assume that those would be hits in the tournament um when you get used again you get used to seeing the same things happen um, you know, if I'm playing against Thomas Taylor, there's really only a few places Thomas Taylor's going to go, right? 
same thing with Chad George. When I'm playing against Ryan, if he's you know if he's going to play on the snake side, I know he's going to go hard snake. Same thing with the Dorito side. Um, it was really predictable for us to play against ourselves, and uh, I don't think the team as a whole really explored as much of the field. I think there were a lot of things, uh, possible plays that we could have done that got shot down, and we people just went with what was comfortable. Um, and I think I think that hurt the team. And you know, and looking back at you know, I mean, Ryan Moore had a, had a great event in Chicago, coming off that injury. Um, and I can't speak to how you know Ryan's mindset going into the rest of the event. I just think, especially in California, um, I think he tried too hard. Right? He was really trying to push it a lot, and he made some some silly mistakes, and he got shot. And in some of in some of those games, um, especially on Saturday before we had to play uh, into relegation, right. Um, that hurt the team. And I don't fault Ryan for that. I mean, he, I know Ryan is a, is Ryan is a super fierce competitor as much as he is, um, <laughs> on debating people on how he feels. <laughs> uh, he always gets his word in. And so I know he's, he's going out there to win. And I think a big thing that hurt the team. Um, and I, and I say, I can't speak to how, what Jason was thinking, cause I can't read his mind, but he kept putting those people out there that maybe he was comfortable with. Right, he had coached Ryan, he had coached Tim, Sam, Chad on the Philly Americans, and he kept putting a lot of those guys out there, and they weren't getting results. Um, and I mean, you could, I could see it because I was sitting, and it was easy. It's easy for me to be negative about it, I guess, or um, I don't know what the word is. Uh, very, I guess, hypercritical because I wasn't playing, and I'd like to think that if, of course, hey, if I went out there, you know, I could, I'm seeing things, I'm making suggestions, and you know, it's not happening. Why? Why isn't Jason saying this or why isn't Randy saying this? And I think at the end of it, that's one of the faults. I didn't speak up enough about the things I saw. It was easy for me to talk to some of my teammates about it. But in going ahead and pulling Randy or Jason aside, uh, that didn't happen. So I don't know if that completely answers well, you know, it, it definitely you <laughs> I know, kind of rambled it's, on it, there. There's a, well, there's a lot of <clears throat> there's a lot that goes into it. Obviously, I mean, you you know, each you know, we we could spend a whole podcast literally breaking every single guy in their entire year down. But I just yeah. kind of wanted to get, and I think a lot of people out there just wanted to get the general feel for you know why that you know such a, a team that w- did have a lot of talent underperformed. I mean, yes, did take a second in Chicago, but you know, even I you know texted a little bit with Randy. Um, I think it was. I can't remember exactly when it was, but maybe a month before Christmas. But anyway, uh, and, you know, he had basically said, yeah, we, we suck this year, but, you know, we're coming back hot next year. We got these guys. It's going to be great. And, you know, and I was like, you know, you guys did take second at, at Chicago, which is true. It's hard to take a second. It's hard to make the finals. I mean, it's very difficult. I mean, the Ironmen have made the finals in five years, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Um, but, uh, but still, you know, but he's like, yeah, but still. And, you know, we, we that can't be <laughs> – we're not <laughs> – I'm not patting myself out on the back for one second place with the team that we got. So, and I was like, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, so a lot of these questions that were kind of asked uh, on Instagram, on uh, on the PSP's Instagram, kind of, uh, I kind of want to address some of these changes that have been made first, and then we'll get to 187. Um, sure. You know, a lot of people are asking about, and you've since you've been playing in semi-auto and have played a ton of different formats all around the world, you know, what, how do you really feel that this semi-auto change is, is going to affect the the league next year? I think it'll be I think it'll be positive um, as long as the PSP <clears throat> and Lane has told me that he feels confident that they can monitor, um, you know, this whole possibility of cheater boards or you know 
the debounce and this debounce, mechanical debounce and extra shots and what have you. And if I say if, if Lane feels confident, then I feel confident. But in playing semi-auto, I can tell you, man, <laughs> going from ramping from full auto from the NXL to the ramping from 15 to 13 to 12 to 10 and playing in those different formats across uh, the world, um, <laughs> semi-auto is definitely going to be a giant wake-up call. Um, I don't know how many times I've been playing the last couple weekends where, yeah, I'm walking the trigger off the break, but as soon as I start to move, I go to one finger and I'm like, oh my gosh, not fast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not shooting fast anymore. <laughs> What's happening? Or when I go to run and shoot, um, I had, I was playing two weeks ago or three weeks ago and this happened to me and I was moving and, uh, I was running at a guy and I was like, why am I not shooting fast? Why is this so inconsistent? Uh, and I got the shit shot out of me. <laughs> it was no fun because <laughs> I think he was still playing um, in ramping, 12 and a half for divisional. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I got to work on this. But I enjoy it. I enjoy semi auto. Uh, I think it'll really affect people on the break and then and shooting consistent lanes. And you'll really be able to see. I mean, Grayson, I just saw a video of Grayson playing and he, he was playing in semi auto and he wasn't able to shoot that quick. He, he maybe skimmed, you know, that 10. 10 balls a second ramping that we used this past year, maybe once. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how people shoot. It'll be interesting to see how the PSP teams up with the gun manufacturers and what they can do to really uh, implement that with boards and the settings in the gun. Um, I'm excited about the, the change in the layouts coming out. Um, I think that'll be good for all teams overall I, I i mean to say that it gives teams an advantage who have more money like in, in this case heat where we were out there and able to shoot hundreds of cases of paint and practice on the field how much paint did you guys shoot too much a lot we i, I think we averaged between geez before every event between 240 and 300 cases of paint and what's on, on a skid these days 70 120 120 so two at least two skids if not more that's insane. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of paint. So. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, speaking of Grayson Goff, um, he actually asked a question and. Yeah, kinda I wanna, that. I, Yeah, because I, I want to get this one because, you know, it kind of is appropriate. It's what we were just talking about with the heat stuff. And, you know, he's George Ocean. Uh, it's his, that's his <laughs> alias. And he says, what's the most important lesson that you've taken away from your time with heat? I think that's a good question. That's a great question, and I I was I was reading that as I got into my car to drive home, um, and I honestly I'd say, I mean, speak up. Um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting for me to take things away from heat and bring it into one eight seven because it's going to be a whole new, a whole new aspect for me and working with guys I've never played with, um, and never worked with, and I'm like a true outsider in this case, and I don't want to overstep my boundaries. But at the same time, having been, you know, having been a leader on Aftershock and then kind of having just a role player place on Heat, um, wanting to really feel out the team and take, I'm definitely going to take the things that Jason and and the Russians and the things I've learned from my fellow teammates on Heat the last three years and apply that uh, towards 187. But I think the biggest thing is just speaking up. Um, I had no problem doing that with Psalm. We would go at each other's throats on shock, but when it came to me talking to Jason uh, and then Randy at some point, for, for the most, like the better half of the last two years, it kind of dwindled down, and I, I regret not saying things I know I should have said, and I would have felt better about myself if I had said them. So just kind of be vocal about what you feel passionate about, essentially. 
Yeah, because I mean, that's a takeaway. And, and there are there are a lot of people that speak up, and as long as you're open minded, I mean, I know that when, like, say Ryan Moorhead, he he would speak up about a lot of things, right? And he's I know Ryan's not doing it to argue, but he's doing it because he wants to win. He's passionate about playing, right? Thomas Taylor was the same way, um, and I'd rather hear that from my teammates out in the open and be open about it and just let them know, like, hey guys, yeah, I might be angry now. Right. Or, you know, but don't take it the wrong way. I'm doing this because I want us to win. And this is just how I feel. Right. And so I'd rather be telling you in, in, in front of all your faces and you to hear this and we can talk about it, be civil about it instead of me, you know, going off with two of my other teammates and just saying something in the car. And then they say, well, he said this, that and he said that. And that just it just creates a whole bunch of drama that if you want to be a successful team and you want to win, you can't have. Yeah. Uh, here's a good question. This is from Dan McCarty. Why the hell would you go to one eight seven and not shock? I want a legit answer. Okay, Dan McCarty. Um, <laughs> you know he's demanding a legit answer. <laughs> oh man, um, I, I talked with Rennick quite a bit. Um, I definitely there's a big chunk of my heart that's with aftershock. Uh, yeah, because I, you know, I, I was like, man, I was <laughs> I was sitting there and I'm like, well, I totally could see him going back to shock. I mean. There's, that would be a great story to tell, and you know they there's some turmoil in that camp. They've lost dudes, and you know so yeah. So I I don't know. I was kind of like, yeah, maybe he will. And you were definitely all closed up about it. I wouldn't really tell anybody, and I just kind of you know wanted to give you your space. But um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean I know why you went to one eight seven. I I have my own opinions of one eight seven. I love that team. I think they're an up and coming team. I love the heart on that team. I love the heart on Shock too. But I could just see that both roads could potentially be something that you wanted to do but but yeah so so give us give us our answer speaking of speaking your mind <laughs> yeah sure 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 uh, I mean when it came down to shock I talked to Rennick a lot um, I talked to a lot of the guys in the team I talked to Chris Osteen I talked to Carl I talked to Rob Velez um, Brian McKenna hit me up now, the one person I really didn't talk a lot to was Bruno um, which kind of sucks but it it just with what's going on with shock and having Having had the seven, well, geez, the history I've had with them, the seven seven years I played on the team, and then just looking up to that team when I was younger, and then you know the dream of being on it, uh, it just didn't feel right. Um, I knew what I was going back to, and I knew the issues that were that were going on with that team. Um, and it, you know, not to dive into that because that's you know that's a personal thing that they, they have, that Rennick and the guys in that team have to deal with. It was just something I didn't want. Um, I'd been down that road before, um, and I, I, I don't know. I wasn't. It's not something I wanted to go back to. I didn't feel comfortable with it, um, and it, you know, it just, it didn't, it just didn't feel right. So Which then, that's vague or yeah, but I'm, no, I'll take it. Uh, but so then, one eight seven. Then Dave Painter hit you up. Did he hit you up right? I mean, have you did you kind of had you I've, known Dave for a while, or did he kind of hit you up after he, he heard the news, or had he been working on you for a year or so? What you know, where did that um, come about? No, Dave hit me up. I think within a week, less than a week after uh, after the news broke that I had been. Co- I mean, Rennick. As soon as the news broke, Rennick texted me. <laughs> he was on me. He was on me like white on rice, really quick after the news broke. But Dave hit me up. Um, and I had talked to Dave and gotten to know uh, a few of the guys on the team. I knew Matt Druler kind of well. Um, 
I got and seen them play. And then, you know, with, with them coming up through the ranks and then getting into the, you know, making to the pro level, it's always something you pay attention to. And I've always enjoyed watching teams play. I mean, I could sit, I would rather sit at an event all weekend than go home and chill in my hotel. I just enjoy watching paintball and, and being at events. Um, and so it was a team to pay attention to. And I've always enjoyed watching them play uh, as the, as they made it up through the ranks and got, you know, challengers to champions in the games they'd play for relegation. So I had gotten to watch them play and, and being in the pit side with them when they were getting ready for matches to hear how they talk and how they operate. Uh, but Dave Painter hit me up and we started talking um, and he laid out the, the foundation of their organization and, and the structure of it. And it really, it really appealed to me. And I think that's what set 187 apart from Aftershock and making a decision on who to play for. Ultimately, do they have the same returning group of guys? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I, I've I'm not <laughs> I'm not <laughs> I'm not like uh, super tight with everybody just yet. <laughs> We're on a, I just we just got on a group chat, so we kind of do message each other back and forth. But as far as I know, everyone has been returning is going to be returning to the team. That would be big because, um, like, Darula was starting to get good. The, the team was starting to fill out. I mean, when they first came into the league, I loved watching them play because they were just straight fearless, just beasts, just, you know, rookies running down, not, a, not scared at all to get torn to pieces and yeah. love to play aggressive. Um, didn't win a lot of games to start out, but they started beating some decent teams. And uh, this year obviously didn't do as well as they wanted to, um, but, you know, they had to play in a ton of – of relegation games this year, but they won three of them. They beat Infamous, Aftershock, and VCK in relegation games, and then lost to Red Legion five to six. That was a really close match yep. on on Sunday uh, at World Cup. So, you know, I mean, I, I just always like watching one eight seven play um, because the the core starters that they have on that team, and then a couple other guys have started to get better, and uh, they started to have more weapons. And I think picking you up is going to be really big for them too because it gives them more depth. But but with some of those younger, talented guys, like I was always, you know, scared for one eight seven that maybe Zaleski or Trailer, because I mean Nick Laval got pulled out from Impact, and you know, you know how it is. I mean, that's kind of the most frustrating thing about being an up and coming team is that you really got to hope that your, you know, your your studs are uh, are either super loyal or have another job or so- something that if all of a sudden you know some guns start getting dangled in front of their faces or you know a little bit of, of money that they yeah. won't, that they that they won't do that. I mean, you can't, you know, it's like Nick Laval did it right, and you can't fault the guy at all for, for wanting to live the paintball dream and go on to impact, and then look what happened, what a storybook ending, or, you know, at least storybook mid part of the book for him. But but at the same time, if you're a 187 fan, it's really frustrating if you start to see the talent get pilfered. But the, if they can get that core to, to come back, I really think that, you know, this could be, you know, I mean, I don't know if 187 is ready to win a tournament quite yet, but if they had the same returning core and especially now also I, I think that those guys play you know they, they play looking for moves they play a proactive game and that's going to help people with this semi-auto and that's another one that you know those are the questions that are being asked was that how is this semi-auto going to affect the fundamental nature of the game is it going to make it more aggressive is it going to make it more conservative to be honest I think it's going to make if it obviously it depends it always depends on the intention of the player because if you want to play defensive you know you can do that but the, it's it's harder it's harder to keep people from pushing forward into key spots if you can't send a wall of paint at them Right. And that's that's going to be the big thing. You have to be consistently on your gun. And it's easy. It was easy to just sit there with one finger and make your gun shoot. If you're playing at 10, if you're playing, if you're shooting ramping, it's easy to sit there with one finger and hold a lane. Right. And so it's going to be those people who are alert 
um, mentally and on their gun. So, yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good for us. Yeah, I'm excited in general. I mean, and also the field thing, you know, to kind of stay with the changes. I, you know, people listen to me rage about this in the podcast because it's like, <laughs> dude, I love it, man. I mean, all, all these all these changes to me is getting back to what paintball really is. You know, having somebody stand on the sidelines and joystick you down the field. And, you know, over time, obviously, the past couple of years, that had started to get phased out. But that always pissed me off to no end. And, um, you know, in the semi-auto thing, it's like, yeah, it, you know, the, you read some of these really uneducated posts online where people are like, yeah. oh, shooting your gun is not a skill. It's like, re- really? Like, yeah, they'll <laughs> never know. know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, it is. And it's fundamentally important. And, um, you know, running and shooting is something that we used to, tra- we had to train for, you know, years to be really good at. And then as soon as the cheater boards came around, it just, <laughs> it was like, so I remember World Cup, dude, World Cup 03, the very first time I got a machine gun, like a true machine gun, because I had a single frame matrix that whole, pretty much the whole season. So I'm out there <laughs> yeah. shooting a slingshot against, uh, against like Bob Long's little midget Filipino dudes running down the snake, shooting 22 balls a second. And, uh... <laughs> And I remember I got uh, the DM3 that year, the very first one. Um, not the very first DM, but like the first batch. And it just had this ridiculous board in it that was legitimately shooting like 22 balls a second. And I was just mm-hmm. using it as a walking bunker to get out to the corner. Like it was, or running bunker, whatever. But it was just like shooting. That's where that whole like the, you know, the laser beam chainsaw references started to come into effect because. Yeah, I felt that. It I just. Can... Oh. Yeah, I mean, I still, yeah, it's. Ridiculous. I remember playing against Aftershock when they got those guns, and say the NXL then when the NXL started, you, you know, you guys didn't have your guns back touching. You guys had your guns pointed towards the ground. <laughs> yeah, and we were touching. We're like, yeah, we'll we'll play practice how we play and touch our guns to the start box and then start running. I would be shot from my head to my toe. I can remember when Mike Hinman was on Aftershock and he had a DM4 at badlands and he shot that thing and i was like i have to run to the corner and he's shooting a gun that fast are you guys crazy yeah like i i didn't make it i was toast yeah <laughs> I, I remember talking to one of the guys on bobby's team i'm like how did you guys not win every single i mean you didn't really win events then because it was like a yeah, season series. which yeah. also was lame but uh <laughs> but i'm like man how, how did you guys not win everything this year you've had these all year long jesus christ yeah, it was completely ridiculous. So, but it just made it easy. It just made it really easy to shoot the guns fast. And yes, that kind of creates a different strategic environment that you have to navigate through. But for me, it it did make the game really easy, a lot easier to play. Um, which you know, I mean, and also, I mean, you know, there's always going to be a certain inherent aggressiveness to to paintball um, at a really high level just because people have high paintball IQs and they're looking for moves that that's again, that it comes down to player intention. So, you know, typically speaking, you know, the, the, the level of intent to make moves for a really good paintball player is very high because they know that, you know, that's how the game's supposed to be played because the farther you get up field, the better the angles are. Um, but, but with semi, it's just going to be easier for guys to do really, really uh, to make moves. It's just going to be easier to make moves, and uh, and then the guys that are legitimately can shoot fast. That's one another skill set that we get to talk about again that didn't ex- that didn't exist until now. Absolutely, uh, had been gone for a long time. And then with the coaching thing, it's like you know, yeah, that's going to be a little tough to enforce, obviously, but. I mean, hopefully people aren't complete degenerate scumbags and will let the players play the game. Um, you know, you can't obviously, you know, control it. You know, talking stands is fine. But, 
Um, but I enjoy watching the game, man. I, I legitimately enjoy watching guys that are because the paintball legitimately is. And there was another question about like why I love the game so much is because it's the close. I mean, I know we try to get away from the war element with and guns with markers and eliminations. And I've been fighting to call them guns and kills the entire time I've been doing any media stuff ever. Like I remember yeah. and it's and it's been kind of difficult sometimes and, and legitimately so. And I pulled back occasionally when I needed to, like when the Virginia Tech massacre happened, uh, that tragic thing that, you know, happened, which has now become very commonplace. Um, mm-hmm. But I did the college championships the week after that and or like right after that happened. And so, you know, that was a very kind of a, you know, but it, but again, we're not shooting real guns at each other, but we're shooting a projectile. So it simulates a gunfight. It really does. It simulates a gunfight. Oh, yeah. And I want to know who the best gunfighters are. That is fascinating to me. We know who the best, you know, fighters are in the world because the UFC built their program and, you know, and, and mixed martial arts evolved from all of these different disciplines. And now, and depending on how big you are in your weight class, we know who the best fighters are. And so as far as who the best gunfighters are, it's like, well, you got to, I mean, you can't shoot real bullets at each other because that would be stupid. You can do, <laughs> you know, you can do simunitions, but that hurts like a That's... bitch and they're really expensive. Uh, and, um, airsoft is just lame and, uh, and the laser, (laughs) yeah, those hurt too. And then the laser, uh, I I played, um, there's another, they make, um, you put, we did this one training session. I don't think I've ever told this story on, uh, on the podcast. We did this. So I've done some like op four training stuff. Um, did I ever tell you these stories? Did Did I ever tell you these stories? There's a video of me getting electrocuted, but I don't think there's actually a video of like (laughs) what we did that day. Okay. So I get a call from Mr. Yu because we, you know, living in San Diego and living by Camp Pendleton, there had been times where we would get, you know, calls by the guys that ran the field um, at Camp Pendleton and they would need. So what OP4 training is, it's force on force training. So essentially OP4 is an acronym for um, opposition force. And Mm -hmm. essentially you are, the OP4 is who the, it's like heroes against bad guys. So the OP4 is whoever you're training against. Um, in the, is, they're the enemy in a situation. So we would get calls from the guys that ran Camp Pendleton, the paintball park, be like, hey, there's some military guys coming in to do training simulations and they need, you know, an op four crew. Do you guys want to come out and play against them? And we were just like, and they're using paintball as a training, as, as you know, their, their training um, platform. Now we were like, yeah, yeah absolutely. of course. <laughs> absolutely. I love to do that. <laughs> and so we did that, you know, a decent amount of times and got to do some really cool stuff like, shoot houses like low light no uh low light or no light so a situation where you know you, like that's another story but essentially i was you know we were in we would go you go into this house and like i'm in a room it's completely black i can't see my hand in front of my face i have a paintball gun and the door's about to get kicked open and six recon marines are about to come in and try to kill me you know <laughs> and I, so i'm just sitting there like oh this is awesome this is awesome <laughs> yeah, you know that's so, intense. yeah it was pretty intense and so we did that i mean we literally played you know like we're screaming phrases in arabic and we were just playing bad guys and um and so we did a decent amount of that, and I like do. I probably will have to tell these stories eventually on the podcast because there's a decent amount of them. But, <laughs> but the one with the, uh, um, the one with, uh, oh god, what was it? Oh, so the ones with the electronic. Uh, so basically, it's a, it's a, looks like an M4, shoots a laser beam, and there's there's the stuff called Miles Gear, which is kind of lame. But so this thing, it's an M4, shoots a laser beam, and then you put. Um, it's eye combat and then you put that's what the, 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 the brand name for it and then you put sensors on and then you take a, a, a taser like little device and you put it on your belt like kind of by your junk right and, mm-hmm. uh, and so when you get shot with the laser you get electrocuted and 
And so I get a call from Mr. Yu and he's like, hey, um, you know, do you want to do this op four in Santa Barbara, uh, where, this training session with uh, Santa Barbara SWAT and some, um, uh, some army cadets that were graduating from whatever thing that was in the college or some, some shit. I can't remember exactly who they were, but they were in the army or going into the army. And then Santa Barbara SWAT was going to be there. So we're like, uh, he's like, I need, but I need, you know, I need a favor. I need you to call up, uh, is, you know, like I need like three other dudes. So I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, dude, no problem. And this is going to be like the, the couple days after a Vegas MPPL tournament. This is maybe like four or five years ago, maybe four years ago. So I call up John Richardson, uh, Glenn Takamoto, and Yosh Rao. I'm like, hey, do you guys want to go up to Santa Barbara and, you know, explain? I was like, we're going to shoot these lasers. We're going to be playing cops and army dudes. And if you get shot, you get electrocuted. Do you want to go? And they're like, absolutely. So we, <laughs> so we, go, so we go up there. And, uh, and the SWAT, so we, we show up early, and we walk the little, like, training facility they built for this, which is, like, a tent you know, like a, like a army tent that's where it's dark inside and it's, you know, two openings on it. And then they put up some like cardboard building type stuff. And then there were some other buildings and it was in this like little forested ravine. It was really cool in kind of on this little valley. In I swear I've seen a video of this. Yeah. There's a video of me online getting shot with yeah, the Yeah. Cause I remember JR playing. <laughs> yeah. I don't, but I don't remember like the playing, <clears throat> but, uh, or um, I don't think there was, I don't know if there's a playing video, but so we, so we show up ahead of time, walk the field, you know, we do our due diligence and then here comes the, the SWAT team. They roll up in their, like, uh, in like a, literally a SWAT tank. Like it's a, it's a tank. Um, and they roll up in their SWAT tank and they jump, jump out sunglasses, looking all, you know, copped out bald, just looking badass mustaches and shit. And then, uh, <laughs> and then about 20 minutes later, here comes the army guys and they're marching in formation up to the training facility. You know, like they had marched from wherever they were, it was like eight miles away or six miles away, something. So they looked like a six mile march to get there. So they show up and then, uh, so, you know, and then we're, it's like me, JR, Yosh, and, and Glenn, and Mr. Yu, and we're just, and Mr. Yu wasn't playing, though. Um, so, <laughs> so he's just kind of helped organizing everything because he was working with the iCombat guys. So, so we're just kind of sitting there, and we're just like, all right. We're, and then they're like, all right, you guys want to do a training? Because they don't call them, like, they don't call it playing. When you, when you go into that world, it's all, it's tra- it's all training, training ops. You know, after you start using all the technical jargon, um, sure. all, I'm sorry, all the tactical jargon for, you know, those guys that are just all tactical. And, uh, and so... So um, the first game or first, sorry, training session that we watched was it was uh, um, SWAT guys playing the army guys and uh, and the SWAT guys were just terrible, dude. They were terrible. They got murdered by these army cadet guys. And uh, it was like four on four, five on five. And one SWAT dude tried to climb a tree. Um, and, and I would not do that. <laughs> yeah. And so, but they just got, they got rolled up by the army guys. And then, so they played two games and lost and then, uh, or sorry, two training sessions and they lost both training sessions. So then, um, then the army guys are like, they're, they're like, Hey, do you want to train against the paintball guys? We're like, yeah, sure. And they're like, yeah, sure. So we go out there and we, um, and we, so we, we play them four on four and, uh, and I had walked the field and I realized that, you know, most likely somebody is going to run. And this is kind of why we like we'd probably be horrible in a real gunfight because we'd probably die um, <laughs> by doing something you know you're not supposed to do in a real combat situation. Um, but we would we excel in these situations because you know like uh, if I get electrocuted it's going to suck. But you know hopefully I won't have a heart attack. But you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to die. So anyway, so I look into this and I'm like, all right, I think. And I told I told Jr. I told John uh, John Richardson. I'm like, hey, 
I think there's, they're probably going to send someone to the other side of this tent. So I'm just going to run straight through the tent and just bunker this dude. And then, you know, just, and I'm just going to keep going. And then from off of that, you'll be able to get out to this. I can't, I can't remember if he was getting out to this. There was like a big, um, like dumpster, like a steel dumpster. That was also a thing out there. So I run through right off the, right at the start of the training session. I run through, like, you know, run up to the tent, duck under, there's no one in it. Look real quick, clear, just clear it quick, you know, optical clear. And then I run through and I get to the other side and this poor army dude is, he's, he's like trying to shoot the opposite way. And just, I, I'll never forget this. It was so, it's embedded in my mind. I see his eyes just like, cause you know, yeah. we're not wearing goggles because you know, it are shooting yeah. like benign lasers. Shooting laser beams. We're shooting laser beams. So I just, his eyes just get become saucer plates as I run past him and I shoot him in the chest and his like in his stuff. And as he's like going, going back, he's like, he's like, ah, and he starts getting electrocuted. Cause it takes like a split second before when your, your thing starts buzzing. And then when you, <laughs> when you get the jolt. And so he like, he looks up at me as I run past him, I shoot him. And then he's like, ah, ah, it's electrocuted and falls over backwards. <laughs> and then no one was looking. So I just run up and I just start shooting army guys in their sensors and just electrocuting all these dudes. And, um, I like that. Yeah. So we beat them on that one and then we played them, uh, four on eight and they had two hostages and we beat them in like a minute and a half and, uh, and killed Jeez. accidentally, accidentally killed one of the hostages. And uh, then, and then, so then, uh, Pete, Mr. You goes up to the SWAT guys and he's like, Hey, you guys want to train against the paintball guys? I'll never forget this. The SWAT guy goes, he's like, Nope, we don't want to get embarrassed. And I was just <laughs> like, wait, what? Come on. This is like a good opportunity, you know? And so anyway, so that was kind of funny, but that's awesome. Yeah. It was, I want to do that. It was a, uh, it was a very, um, but anyway, back to why I like paintball. I like paintball because you know, <laughs> we, it's a, it's a gunfight simulation, man. It really is. And it's difficult at the high level. It's fun at every level, but at the, you know, once you start, once the, the fun and the, the challenge also be, again, like Nick Diaz said, you got to, you know, there's a fine line between love and hate. So once you're challenging yourself enough that it may hurt, you know, a little bit because you're, you're going outside your comfort zone, but you're going to grow strength from that, which answers another question. Um, it was, it's just that I, I love paintball because one, it's, it's an incredible skill set that's very, very hard to do at a very high level. And uh, two, regardless of what level you play at, you're going to become mentally stronger. Like it, this world breeds, you know, s- safety and comfort. You know, everything wants you to lock your doors, get snuggled into your warm couch and watch television or play video games. And paintball forces you to, you know, to go on a little, even if it's just going to your field, it's like a little mini adventure. And I think that, you know, the more that you're willing to do that emphasis on willing, cause you know, you have to make that, you have to drive all the way out there and it costs money, but you're willing to, to partake in that and, and put yourself in that environment. And you do that on a regular basis that it will build mental strength and also be a hell of a ride at the same time. So, but yeah, but Hey, the next time we have, if we ever get a call for one of those, you know, one of those op four things, dude, I'll, I'll hit you up. If we, I'm if, in. Yeah. I want to shoot people like that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, but for, but for 187, I really think that I just, I think they got a shot, man. I, I really like the, I like how Drula plays. Um, Eddie Painter's a beast and he hopefully will be back from his knee injury that he had a cup. Yep. Is he going to, have you talked to him about that? Uh, it sounds like he's on track, um, for a healthy recovery. So I don't know the extent of his injuries, but. I know that it sounds like he's going to be ready to go. Um, you know, I guess the big thing is as long as he doesn't re-injure that same knee, 
he should be fine. That's good to hear. And, um, but yeah, there's just, there's some talent on that team, man. You know, Max Trailer's a baller. Dan yeah, Zaleski's I mean, really Dan good. Zaleski's, they've all, they've all been playing really well. And it's the thing that's been nice is I've been able to go back and rewatch a lot of their games on the webcast. Um, the previous matches from this year and the past year. So I'm excited. This is a question uh, from Instagram. Where do you feel most comfortable on the field? Because I was actually thinking that same question because, you know, you're going to a team where there's a decent amount of good ones. Eddie Painter's been stellar uh, in that 2-3 position, in the center particularly. But you and him kind of play a similar spot. I mean, you're you're pretty you're relatively versatile for you know for, versatile for a tall dude. Um, but do you, where do you kind of see yourself getting in the mix as far as like actual you know on the field? Because that's a big thing. A lot of people you know when they start talking about oh this team picked up this guy, they picked up this guy. But you know paintball again like any other sport, there's positions and dudes play certain positions better than others. And when you start breaking down a lineup of who you think is going to win, it's, it's a lot of times it's like, well, this snake guy is going to match up against this snake guy and which snake guy are going to play the most. And then who's behind them? Because that's going to affect a lot. You know, so where do you really feel your sweet spot is on the field in an ideal situation? And then where do you feel that you're going to mix in with 187? Uh, <clears throat> I feel like my ideal spot as of now, like right now, would just be um, playing that two, I guess, the back spot. Um, shooting either way or moving up the field either way. I mean, I've, I've really always enjoyed going up the middle. Um, I hope I get to do that again um, or getting out to a corner. And believe it or not, I don't like sitting in the back center. And when I first started playing, when I made it to shock, all I would do is go to the snake corner or be the number two in the snake. Um, so I would really enjoy to be able to do that again. But it's going to be you know getting out there and playing with the guys and, and seeing with what they feel comfortable with and what they do and, and where I can – you know, fit myself into that piece of the puzzle. Uh, and I'm excited to do that. I think it'll be a lot of fun to get out there and really to, to mix it around a lot and see how they operate and where I can apply myself to yeah, help the it, team. It is def- it, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a factor of actually getting into practice with these dudes and figuring out where you're best needed or most needed. Yeah, because, I mean, coming off a of heat and how, how the team operated wasn't really ever – it wasn't ever really, you know, a solid thing. I mean, who you, it wasn't solid on who you're going to play with. You didn't know what line you're going to be with, and you had an idea of where you'd play, but it wasn't. You weren't ever really sure, you know, until you got out there with Jason and set the lineup. Uh, I think in the history of the team, the last three years, there was only been one event where we ran two different lines the entire event, and that's it. You know, so it'll be. It was. It's. It's been kind of hard to tell with the the switches that 187's made. Um, just watching the footage from the last couple uh, uh, games I've seen on PB Access from watching um, the past events, but they do mix it up quite a bit. So it'll be you know interesting to get when I when I, when I can finally get together with them, we can all sit down and then start playing uh, to see how that's going to work out. And who do you feel? I mean, looking at all the you know the moves that have been made the effect of the new rules. How do you kind of see things shaking down? This is, I mean, this is going to be a running commentary for, you know, until we get to the first event, but um, a lot of people have been hitting me up asking me, you know, who I think is going to be dominant this year. And based on the new rules, I mean, that was a team, a question that was asked was, does this benefit or how much does it benefit the older, more established teams um, or the guys that have been around for like dynasty, perfect example, you know? And I, I mean, (laughs) I think this benefits Dynasty 
oh, yeah. a ridiculous <laughs> amount. You know, I mean, yeah. these guys are number one. Their teamwork has always been something that they're really good at. Uh, number two, they've been playing paintball since the late '90s. So you know, there was a, a long time there where they had to play, and they started with autocockers and then angels and. You know, so they know how to shoot in true semi-auto. Um, I mean, it may have been a while, but that's, you know, that's that's like riding a bike, man. Once they get a few practices in, they'll, they'll, it'll start to get back. They'll get their fingers back. But uh, And then also, they're really good at walking fields. So, you know, these are just, again, skill sets that are going to need to be applied. How do you think that that is going to affect some of the top-tier teams? Uh, I'd say teams like Dynasty, I think, like, as you said, that'll suit them very well. I think those guys will excel. Um, and I, I would... I would bet I'd put money on them winning an event. Um, I think a team like X Factor, this will help out X Factor a lot. Uh, I think those, I mean, a lot of those guys have been playing for a while and they have some of the same experiences that Dynasty does. Um, I think Impact will do very well. I mean, that team was super successful in playing seven man, especially against Dynasty, you know, in their past history and how they've done with semi-auto and their teamwork um, and just being able to play off each other. I think they'll do really well at this. Um, uh, who else is there? I mean, the uh, infamous, I think it'll be good to watch them play and see how they do now, you know, especially after they, you know, that playing at world cup and doing as well as they did. I think that was a big, uh, morale booster for that team. I think when it comes to heat, I mean, taking just the four Russians and throwing them on the field, I think they'll get a win. Um, you know, as much as people like to say that they're robots and, you know, they're used to coaching and they've only played X ball. I mean, they've been playing paintball for a long time. And they're really smart paintball players, so I think they'll do well. I mean, you've got Sam, Chad, um, Tim, and Ryan, who've all played seven-man and been playing paintball for a super long time. They'll do really well. Uh, so I think the top-tier teams will probably stay that way. I mean, damage will stay fairly well. I think it just opens it up for the the newer teams or the younger teams um, like say the 187 or I'd say if CEP is playing your top gun just to, to make those moves um, – and, and really draw the response from those teams that have the experience and see how they handle it, right? And so maybe a more aggressive play or maybe, you know, the teams that have the experience in shooting semi-auto and really holding lanes, maybe that'll pay off. You know, it's like you said, it's going to be a running conversation until, we, you know, we get to the first event and see how that plays out and, you know, see if these rules are tweaked or um, adjusted before we get to that point, you know? It'll be, I, can't, I really can't wait to get out and play another pro team on a layout with – the guys on my team, you know, and see how things work out, see what really stands out when you get to go out there in another field with, with guys, you know, the same level as you and, and put it to the test. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's all conjecture until that happens, but yeah, I mean, you know, when you, when you are looking at these specific skill sets, it's pretty easy to kind of look at who does have mastery of those and how far back that goes. And, you know, those people are going to have a little bit more of, a little bit more of an advantage, but again, you know, that's the cool thing about the semi-auto is, is that it, we're really going to see who the most creative players are out there and, you know, who's going to think the fastest. Cause you know, that's the thing is as, as you progress up the ranks and the speed and the, the, um, the, how big the windows are and how big the windows are and how long they're open for decreases drastically as you go up the divisions, you know, on, on Sunday mm-hmm. when I, when I start watching and you've helped me call divisional final games before up there. When you start watching, oh yeah, yeah, and you start, you start, and I really like watching those games because 
uh, we've seen a lot of really good competition, but also, you know, who the, the, the players and the teams that are in those games could be the, the pro guys we're watching in a year or two or three or however long it takes them to get up or, you know, when they want to make that bump, um, which is something we're going to see this year. You know, like AC Dallas is going to make the move into the, the Challengers division. We're still waiting to hear who the other teams are that are going to be moved, uh, going to be moved up, and how the PSP is going to deal with that. Because um, you know, as it stands, <laughs> that's an, I mean, that's a big deal. You know, I mean, we have you know, as it was before, it was ten pro, uh, the twenty pro teams, ten in the champs, and ten in the Challengers, and you know, player teams would go back and forth which made it incredibly dramatic to watch and to follow along to see what the hell was going to happen. And, uh, and so as, you know, as we progress in now we're in 2015, who else is going to make that jump? And uh, that information will be out relatively soon, along also with the schedule. Um, yeah, need that. <laughs> yeah, definitely need the schedule. I mean, we need schedule too, you know. It's, but the thing is, a lot of people have been bitching about the schedule. But, and, you know, ah, we need the schedule here at PBA too, so we can start kind of setting everything up. But, and everyone needs it. But it's, you know, the PSP, it looks like there might be shuffling some dates around. The schedule should be out really shortly. I was talking to uh, Dave Pando um, who's actually got uh, this, I think is a great thing for the PSP. So the PSP just uh, got Dave Pando to be their director of marketing. And he's worked for Camp Pendleton's paintball park. He worked for giant sports for a while. Um, SE village, you know, that's a company that has SE village and a bunch of other stores or I'm sorry, a bunch of, bunch of fields. And he worked for die for a while, but, um, but he's really proactive. And I, I think that the PSP needs somebody like that. So I'm happy he's there because it means the fans are, and, the, and the customers of the PSP are going to have access to more information. He's going to redo the website. It's going to be cool. But I was talking to him, and uh, he said, yeah, the dates are coming out soon. Um, oh, also, Pando told me to tell you that uh, I was like, yeah, Nisovia's <laughs> going to be on the podcast. And he's like, wait a second. I think that when I was working at Die and you had him and some of the Heat guys come in that I sat in your guys' studio room and kind of convinced him to get on Instagram. <laughs> so I, do yeah. I, does that, is that a true story? It is a true story. <laughs> Thank you, Pando. Yeah. So, but anyway, so yeah, hopefully the, uh, the, the um, that we're going to get those dates pretty soon. Um, so we can kind of, you know, get everything going, but, but, uh, yeah, man, I'm really excited to see you know, who's going to be able to to utilize this this new framework in, in which Pro Paintball exists in and uh, play some jazz out there. I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it, it'll be. I'm excited to watch those games, the first event, right? Um, I want to say I love being at events, but I think this is really going to be exciting to watch, um, you know, how teams play, how players stack up against each other. I mean, just the just to see who can shoot semi-auto, right? quickly because that was always a that was always a big thing right if you could really pull the trigger quickly i mean you would set up game plans based on people shooting right-handed shooting left-handed that's you'd have to play to your strengths with that um and you know and getting to a certain position or you know how how much pressure you're going to put on a certain spot because people could shoot quick or they couldn't shoot quick and i'm excited to see how that works right and see what kind of stat you guys can work up for that <laughs> for people who can pull the trigger at a very fast rate. Well, we were we had some software that we you know that Virtue was we were trying to get work um, when we started up with PBA, and essentially it was 
you know, we were trying to get the, the goal, you know, we had the stats and the stats are really important to take things out of the realm of the subjective and make them objective. So I can actually say, you know, this past year, Archie Montemayor was the best player. So we're not just sitting here and telling stories about who made the best moves. You know, it's actually, yeah. it's a, it's a codified thing as far as, you know, how many kills you got and how long you stayed alive and how many points you won, et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the other stats that we always wanted, like that I really wanted to get even if the metric ended up being kind of a weird number, it's still we could manipulate it and make it a little bit more digestible. Not manipulate it as far as like change the number, but just make it kind of understandable in the context of that specific statistic. Uh, but it was an accuracy statistic because if I could tell how many balls that a, a player shot out of his gun in a point, and I know how many kills that he got, then you can have mm-hmm. an accurate, obviously be super low, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, but it still might be an interesting thing to look at. And, uh, and so hopefully we can do the same thing with balls per second. You know, I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but if we could go out there and have a, you know, a cool graphic that came up and then had, all right. So on this next, this last point, like, Oh, Sloviak can consistently getting to double digits. You know, that's definitely stop. And then, you know, you could even attach that. Like, let's say you go play a game and you're consistently in double digits and you're able to, you know, put a lot of paint and contain. And we always talk about, pre- you know, when people watch the webcast, we talk about pressure, containment, like that sort of stuff. And the pressure is, you know, how much pain is being thrown at somebody to keep them from making moves. So let's say you guys are playing Heat and Thomas Taylor's trying to, or Chad George trying to work their way down the snake, but you're able to, you know, keep them in that position a little bit longer, allowing your guy to get up, then we could use that metric and say, yeah, one of the reasons that, that 187 is doing well against Heat right now is, you know, you're looking at Slovak running out to that corner, you know, he's consistently getting, you know, into double digits, getting, you know, 10, 11, 12 balls a second out of his gun. And, uh, and he's been, you know, that's helping contain, it's making Chad George look at a lot more paint. So, you know, it's just one yeah, of those take little, that, Chad George. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or maybe the flip side, maybe Chad's is getting up there at 13 and he's out battling you. Who knows what's going to happen? You never know. Yeah. So. No, he doesn't do that. He's not that good. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. It's, it's about just trying to narrow the microscope. I mean, that's what we're trying to do with the stuff that we do here at Paintball Access is that, you know, the closer you can look at something, the more interesting it becomes. So, you know, that's just what that's, but that's a factor of, you know, how much resources we have to put towards something, which is why, you know, I always say, man, help us spread the paintball gospel because right now it's people that, you know, purchase the pay-per-view that's really helping, that is funding this, you know, this, this whole thing that is paintball access. I mean, yeah, we get, you know, money a little, you know, we, we, then the reason, whole reason we did that was because we just didn't, we, we could not because of the size of the industry, get enough support out of the industry, even though they do support PBA. Um, and the companies that I always mention, you know, like Planet, GI, and Die, Empire, Key, um, and some other companies over time uh, that have helped us out. But it's just tough because, you know, people look at and you hear these, you know, uneducated opinions. And, hey, man, everyone's got an opinion. They're entitled to it. But, you know, when you look out there, it's like, oh, this is bullshit. You know, the industry should be paying for this. It's like, dude, the industry's trying. You know, they're, they're also trying to run businesses. So if you live in the world and you know how businesses work, shit costs money. And yeah. you don't just have money just lying around to throw at every cool idea. And uh, like Marcelo had gotten into, uh, he had somebody post up on his um, on his Facebook, and Marcelo's gotten very diligent about trying to explain things in a way that makes people understand. I'm actually really impressed at that. But he basically had some kid on his Facebook that was like, you know, he's talking about Marcelo posted something about the changes, and and uh, and then somebody had posted down a bunch of comments, you know, and then down there was a guy that was like. 
He's like, oh, yeah, this might be cool to watch, but, you know, it sucks. I'm not going to be able to see it because, like, I refuse to pay to watch paintball. You know, I pay, my inter- I pay my cable bill so I can watch football, but, you know, I pay my internet bill. I should be able to watch paintball for free. And I'm like, face palm, wanting to punch my <laughs> computer. Like, dude, that is not how it works. Like, no. <laughs> dude, the <laughs> NFL gets paid billions, billions with a B, billions of dollars by cable companies for their, for their content. Like, DirecTV alone pays the NFL $1 billion to have their shit on their shit. We don't – that's opposite. We have to pay the internet to be on the internet. Like, we have a bandwidth fee that we have to pay every year, and it's not chump change in order to stream that, you know, stream our content. That's just not how it works. And so, you know, it's just one of those things. So, you know, again, thank you to everyone out there. And, again, help us spread that paintball gospel because, you know, this is a fascinating thing. These are the – you know, th- this this entity that is paintball over the past 30 years has distilled and cultivated this very unique thing where you're watching these dudes gunfight out there. And yeah, it's kind of weird because we're using these, you know, paint filled capsules to simulate <laughs> this battle. But this shit is interesting. And these guys are really good at it. And as anyone who's ever gone to play paintball knows, you know, um, yeah, man, it, it, there's, there's a pretty interesting question. This guy's asking, he's like, uh, his name is Seth. He's like, what's your defining moment as a pro paintball player and where, where you can look back and say, I made it. Ooh. Um, I mean, making shock. That was, so that was, it was rough getting, going down that road to trying to become a pro and, um, you know, driving, driving back and forth to the field and spending all my money and time and trying to make it to that level. And then I, I can still remember when Jeremy walked and I was working with him. Um, he walked back and asked me to play on the team. And I was like, is this real? <laughs> is this true? Is this like, real life? Did I, did I do it? <laughs> and it didn't really hit me until, I mean, I can remember Floyd pulling, like getting to practice. And instead of, it was, it was tough because I had to, I was on a team called Denver Altitude and they were coming in Chicago to practice. We were going to play against Aftershock and I had to play against them. I had to be like, oh, hey, by the way, guys, uh, I just left the team to play for Shock, and now I'm going to be playing against you instead of with you. Um, and I can remember Floyd um, you know, giving me my first free gun for the first time, walking up and getting, hey, new Jack, here's your gun. I was like, yeah. What gun was it? Uh, uh, Aftershock DM7. Mm. It was nice. Well, I know you have quite the gun collection. I'm so I jealous do, of your gun collection. Your gun I collection do have, is sick. I do have some. Nasty gun collection. Yeah, they're they're all laying out through my house right now. My wife, when she got home, wasn't too happy because they were on her couch and she wanted to sit down and eat. <laughs> How many dope autocockers do you own? I have three Evolution autocockers. I have two Shock Tech autocockers. I have three Shock Tech autocockers. Um, so I've got six. I've got six autocockers. I've got three old school Matrixes. Um, I've got six Luxes. <laughs> I've got one Planet Eclipse Geo 3.5, the new GI Sports Edition. So you basically have like the down payment for a house in paintball guns right now. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of money in paintball guns. I have a Westwood autococker, so that's another shock tech. That's an old, oldie but a goodie, a coveted paintball autococker. Um, yeah, I got a lot of paintball guns. I have like a whole section of my house that is just a giant pile of gear bags full of gear and guns. And goggles and tanks and packs <laughs> that that's, I have not gotten rid of. <laughs> that's awesome. It, and that was another question that was actually asked was uh, not how many dope autocockers. That was my question because I love <laughs> old school autocockers. Having a bunch of evolutions is like having some like Shelby Mustang sitting in in your uh, garage. Um, 
But uh, you know, you're you're moving now from Lux, who you're you know sponsored by for the past three years, and now you're going back to Planet Eclipse. But you mm-hmm. had used their stuff before, so that shouldn't be too much of a transition. No, although this is the first. So uh, what was it? 2009 when Shock went to Planet Eclipse from Die, and that was a big switch, going from a, a DM to an Ego. Oh my gosh! Especially playing indoors with how loud egos were back then. Oh, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but I've always used I've always used uh, an ego, and so this is the first time that I've ever had to use a geo. So it's definitely a little bit different. I'm, I say I can't wait to get my hands on an LV one and see how those things shoot compared to the last I shot. The last ego I shot was an Ego Eleven, and I loved it. I love my Ego Eleven. Jack Wood did me did me right. And he gave me an Ego 11 that was unbelievable. I wish I never would have got rid of that gun, but yeah, I'm excited. It's, yeah, uh, I'm. It's and also I'm interested because I'm gonna have uh, Dan Napoli on the podcast here pretty soon. Dan Napoli, nice. it, yeah, I'm stoked for that conversation. Super smart, super smart guy. We're gonna talk about media, paintball media. You know, just kind of the history of that sort of stuff and the projects he's worked on, and then you know, what planet's going to be doing next year. And I'm interested to see if the spotlight will somehow, I don't know about an actual whole, you know, a, a roster, but, uh, but some sort of spotlight on, on a video way. And so this is something I'm going to have to ask Dan here. And this is going to be soon too. This is going to be either this week or next week. Um, oh, I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm interested because Dan's been around for a long time. I mean, he used to help Ed, Poorman run warp sports mm-hmm. back in the day. He was like a played baseball in college and like got punk rock tattoos and stuff. And he's highly intelligent and very, very versed in, you know, sports and media. And we all, we, we've been working together for a long time, you know, obviously I narrate the, the stuff that he does. So we've worked mm-hmm. on tons of things over the years. So I'm really interested to kind of pick his brain and talk yeah, to I him mean, about stuff. He's got all the behind the scenes info. I mean, he knows, he knows what makes things work. Yeah. So, and, uh, and that'd be, you know, there's a lot of guys that like to work, you know, on video projects, even at home or might be aspiring to be in that arena one day. And Dan's a, a great dude to, you know, to pick his brain on, on how to actually make that, you know, happen either as a, you know, as an amateur, just making cool videos for your team or yourself or your kids or whatever it is to, you know, also, you know, maybe pursuing that as a career. Cause you know, there's lots of people that want to get into that as a career. So no, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation that, so everyone listening, that should be probably next week, second week of January. We'll see. Nice. Yeah. Um, but I. But it would be cool to see if, you know, if some sort of spotlight is going to be put on 187 because I really think that there's, you know, I like the guys on that team. There's personality there. I love the owner. And it's a really great story. I mean, and but, but that is kind of a throwback to, you know, you know, so right now in Pro Paintball, you have the money teams, teams with lots of money. You have the factory teams. Which, you know, so the money teams would be damage, impact, heat. Yep. Um, then you have the factory teams, and the factory teams like Infamous Ironman. You know, Infamous is Keys Factory Team, Ironman, Die Factory Team. And then you have the, you know, these kind of teams that have been around like Dynasty, who, you know, has switched sponsors over the years. But they're, you know, they're loyal to their sponsors, obviously. That's why, but they're also highly marketable. Um, but they're, 
a private team. You know, they've never really been controlled by a, by one dominant sponsor. Um, yep. that, you know, so, but then, and then you have these homegrown teams and the, one of the reasons that I love those stories and I love watching these guys, you know, partake in that, that adventure that we always talk about. We talk about how badass paintball is and why this is an, a, you know, a very fun and kind of, uh, you know, soul growing and, and experience gathering thing for you to do as a human being in your little, you know, meat puppet wagon here moving from birth to death. And it's like, their story <laughs> is one of like straight old school tribalism. It's like, we're, I mean, I mean, I'd never even heard of up the town of Upton until 187 came into the league. Never even heard of Upton, Massachusetts. <laughs> Either have I. No idea. You asked me, to, if you put a gun in my head and said, point on Upton on a map, I'd be like, do you have to kill me? Because I have absolutely no idea where this city is. Is it, is it a country in Africa? I don't know. No, so, so but, it, but, but, you know, back in the day before the advent of, you know, big sponsors or, I mean, you know, you were, you were stoked to get a little bit of pain or a gun. I mean, any sort of sponsorship back in the, you know, when paintball was emerging from its infancy was awesome. And there's, there wasn't, you know, that you would go to these tournaments and you'd play and it would be like, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't have these, these teams assembled from people from all over, even at the highest level. You know, I remember from California and everyone on that team was, you know, I think Marty maybe lived in Reno, but everyone else was from California. And, uh, and then the All-Americans, they were all from Pennsylvania or someplace on the East Coast. And then Shock was from the Chicagoland or Midwest or, you know, Michigan. I mean, they were, you know, so it was very tribal and, very. you know, very, very tribal. And there was a, everyone had chips on their shoulders because they wanted to go out and not only represent for themselves and for their, you know, their buddies, but you did in a very real way carry your, your area of the world <clears throat> into that competition because if you did well, when you went back, you were then a hero to, to your local teams, to everyone else, you know, because you went and did battle against the best in the world and you came back. And if you failed, they'd be like, oh, Bo, you know, sorry, next, get them next time. And then if you did well, you were a hero, you know. And so it's cool to, to see that teams like that still exist. And that's the whole divisional ranks. That's what's, that, that's what's really cool, you know, interesting. And this is why I'm excited that, you know, Pando's coming into the PSP is because he's pretty passionate having – you know, he was the president of Ohio State or how, yeah, Ohio State Pando, if you're listening, um, the <laughs> Ohio State uh, NCPA team. Now it was Ohio University. He always, he always gets angry about that. But um, so uh, but um, but yeah, so, you know, so anyway, he's passionate about the divisional side of things. I am, too. So I hope, you know, using utilizing some of the PSP's resources, I'm, I'm hoping we can tell more divisional stories next year because there's a lot of fascinating things and a lot of you know struggle that those guys go through just to even get to the tournaments. You know, so, so I'm, yeah, I mean, it's, that's a kind of a cool thing. Yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be great. And say, I look forward to when you talk to Dan, um, because he's seen that with all the, the stuff that he's covered and he's, he's got quite the experience when it comes to all that as well. Yeah. And then also I think we're going to be doing a part, if I can ever wrangle, uh, the butterfly that is Ryan Greenspan, the world, world traveler, uh, <laughs> and get him in the chair again with Marcelo, who I think is also out of the country right now. But um, but trying to get yeah, them, he's been busy. Yeah, trying to get them all in the same place at the same time is is difficult sometimes. But I, I but, believe uh, it. We only got we only had an hour for their podcast. My technical director had to leave, so we didn't get uh, to really kind of you know get into some of the other stuff we want to talk about. But so hopefully they're going to be on too as well as Dan Napoli coming up soon. Um, but this this is a good question coming from you know PSP's Instagram that kind of speaks to what we we're just talking about. Is uh, how do younger players get over the barriers that keep them from playing? Parents, finances, etc. That's kind of an interesting question. What do you think? Uh, you just have to want it. You've got to want it, and you're going to have to make sacrifices. And um, you know, it's it's going to be you know depending on your age and where you're at. Um, working multiple jobs to afford paint 
you know, to afford gas. Uh, it's going to be cramped hotel rooms. It's going to be pushing yourself, you know, instead of staying out late on Friday night and partying with your friends and getting drunk, even though there are plenty of people who, and don't do this if you're under 21, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> there are plenty of people who, who can still do that and play. But if you really want it, you know, um, like you were saying with the tribes, right, where a lot of pro teams are based, you know, a lot of people are, are unfortunately don't live in those same areas, right? So if you want to get out and play against Aftershock, you have to get yourself to Badlands. You know, you want to play against 187, you have to get out to Fox for paintball. You want to play against the Ironman, you have to go to, if it's Camp Pendleton, you have to go to Camp Pendleton. You know, you have to show up to these fields and you have to put yourself out there and try and play against them. And that's going to cost time and money. Um, it's going to put a strain on your schoolwork, on your parents, on your friends. It's going to put a strain on a lot of things. Uh, I had to go through it. A lot of my friends went through it. Some of which made it. Chris Osteen's an example. Some of them didn't, and uh, it's tough. You know, I mean, I'm say feel free to hit me up if you have any more specific questions about it. Always ask me a question on on Facebook. I have no problem getting back to you uh, on specifics. But you know, you're gonna you have to want it more than more than the other people, and you have to find something that motivates you. You know. Well, I think, and also with the parents, because I, you know, when I started playing, I was 15 and a half when I very first started playing paintball. And then, you know, so I had to deal with that. I remember, I remember going to my mom to sign the waiver. Um, and I probably should have, I, I don't even know why I, I didn't think of that. I probably should have just forged it at the actual, you know, place. But, <laughs> you know, so, but I, you know, I took the waiver to my mom and I, I, I really thought that she was going to give me a harder time about the very first time I went to play paintball. Like, cause you know, she was definitely that, that mother, you know, as a good, you know, she was like, Oh, don't play football. You're going to hurt yourself. And I was like, yeah, kick rocks. I'm playing football, you know, and then you just, whatever. But, uh, but she was cool with it, but it, but it became, once it became a part of my life, it was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, um, and this is actually interesting because I had this conversation because Dan asked me when he was, you know, writing the script for the end of the last roster, uh, episode, and he was, you know, where, and, and this has been kind of a recurring thing. I know you were in, you know, you and Grayson were embroiled in a very long and dirty internet battle about, you know, the legitimacy <laughs> of pro paintball as an activity or a sport. And, you know, yeah, these guys voicing their opinions about that sort of stuff. And, um, but, but, but for me, it was, it was, you know, I'd, I'd played baseball, I played football, I played soccer a little bit, I played basketball. I mean, I played, you know, I played actually, you know, played football in high school a little bit and then quit once I found, um, paintball and I played baseball for three years and then quit when I found paintball. But, uh, but, and I was, I was okay at those sports, but I was never great at them. And then I found paintball and I was actually really good at paintball right away. And so that was kind of one of those things that, you know, that I went, when I went to my parents, you know, so for the guys asking those questions, like, how do you deal with your parents? Um, there's a number of ways you can do it. One, show them how safe it is, uh, which, and this is, I'll talk about my personal story, but just to attack the question, one, tell them how safe it is, you know, paintball and a recreational level played under controlled um, situations, is a very, very safe activity as long as you keep your goggles on. I mean, yeah, you yes. could slip, you could, you know, slip doing anything, you know, but, um, you know, other than the welts you're going to get, the bruises will fade and it's just not that bad. So it's, it's, it's the perceived, uh, you know, violence of it. It's, it's, it's a very safe thing to do. And there's statistics out there, you know, easily Googleable statistics about this sort of stuff. Um, so that's, that's one way to do it. The other one is to let them know about how positive of an activity and how many, you know, different types of people play. It's not just, you know, tons of people play paintball from pastors to, you know, Navy SEALs to firefighters to lawyer. I mean, everybody plays it. Parents, it's, you know, females, males, everyone plays a very diverse activity. Uh, 
And then, and kind of, you know, also mentioned a lot of the things that we talk about here and as running themes on our podcast, you know, is that paintball as an activity in a world where, again, a world that's trying to make you soft and not test you in a world where every, every year, the percentage of kids for the past like five years, the percentage of kids that don't do any physical activity whatsoever keeps going up. It's now approaching 20% of all children don't do any organized physical activity. Unbelievable. That's not good. Unbelievable. And also all the ball sports are declining. Basketball, football, baseball on a youth level, all declining in numbers. Golf, it's not the same thing, but, you know, golf also getting <laughs> clobbered right now. Um, anyway, so it, it's, you know, it's getting you off the couch. It's doing something that's that's team building. It's it's physically and mentally challenging. I mean, there's a lot of different ways. And so, but I didn't use any of that with my, my parents because at the time I was getting, you know, into it because immediately after I started playing – I was, you know, got on Navarone and started traveling around and, and, uh, it had started to become, you know, a thing where I was spending money on it. I'd gotten, you know, a job because when I was fit, the day that I turned 15 and a half, I got a job and the day I turned 16, I got my license because I wanted the freedom to be able to pursue these things. And, uh, and so, but there was a point in time where my, I can't remember if it was my mom or my dad, but I remember sitting down with them and they were like, you know, we think you're putting too much effort towards, I can't remember exactly what they were, their concern was or what it was, but you know, I basically, I was like, look, you know, a lot of people spend their whole lives trying to find something that they, that they love, that they're passionate about and that they're really good at. And I like, and I know you guys have never seen me play, but I'm, I'm actually like really good at this sport and I want to see how far I can take it. I want to, you know, I want to see how good I can get. And I, I've got to be able to go on these adventures in order to pursue that goal. And I, you know, like I could be one of the best at this one day. That's what I want. That's what I want to do. You know, I was far from it at the time, but I was, I was like, that's what I want to do. And, and my mother, she, uh, she also had kind of a, a, an alternative route through life. She, she was very successful, but, um, she was, uh, she was a dancer. And so she, um, and her father was like, this is stupid. Why are you, you know, trying to get your master's degree in dance? This is dumb. You're never going to get a job. And, uh, you know, which is a legitimate concern, um, if you're a parent and you're concerned about your child, but she sure. was, she was like, look, I'm, you know, this is what I love. And, and I think that dancing is a very important thing for humans, which it is, you know, especially when like science has even backed this up recently. And anyway, so, um, but you know, she got her master's degree in dance and then she ended up, uh, becoming the director of the dance program at the university of, uh, California, San Diego. Um, Bravo. And, yeah. And so, but it, and, and it took her, you know, it was, it was a hard fight. Um, you know, like, and it's, but it, she'd been through a lot of adversity. I mean, she literally, you know, this is when the, those institutions were run by, you know, the patriarchy. They're run by dudes that like didn't give a shit about dance or any of that sort of stuff. And she actually was told at one time um, by there's a so the dance program at UCSD was in the physical education department. Dance was not looked at as an art; it was looked at as like PE essentially. And uh, and so she was fighting to get it into the theater department. And so she went to the the chair of the physical education department, who was this like old school Italian dude. And he straight up told her to her face when she was pregnant with me. He she was um, he was like, you know what? He's like, you really shouldn't concern yourself in these matters. You should just go home and raise your son and let the men take care of this. Like they, that got, like that got Damn. told to her face, dude. And so instead of caving, she was like, fuck that. She was like, they had like protests and did this whole thing. And then, then 25 years later, there's like a multi-million dollar uh, building devoted just to dance. They have a master's degree there now. They're in the theater department. I mean, you know, so she did a lot. So I kind of, you know, exploited that a little bit and was like, you know, like went down that road. So, but the point of the thing is like, if you have a dream and you want to do something, then give it a shot. You'll find a way. And in finding a way 
to achieve that, you will learn a lot about yourself, a lot about the world, how to, how to work with other people, how to get things out of this life. People need things. You know, it's like, that's an, then those are important lessons, whatever you end up doing. And then also just make sure that you either, you know, like don't delude yourself in thinking that you're going to be, you know, fed off making, you know, like, not that you can't do that. I'm not telling you can't. It's just very difficult. So you need yes. to have backup plans. You need to go to school, learn a trade. Like when we had Blake Garber, he's like one of my perfect examples. I love Blake. Blake's, you know, he's a, he's, he, he's a, uh, he's a contractor, you know, he builds things. And it took him a long time to, to, <clears throat> or, you know, get his skills enough, high enough, and then to get a shot to play pro, you know, he's in his late twenties, but, and it took him till that long to get onto dynasty, but, you know, he has a trade and he has business. And, and then, you know, over time though, he loved paintball and he worked and worked and worked at it, worked at it, and then got a shot and made the most of it. And now he gets to travel around the world and play paintball with dynasty. And that's an amazing story, but he was the ability to do that is because he always had a trade to fall back on. So you got to cover your bases. Um, and I think that was something that got lost in some of those comment commentator or the, the comments that were kind of, you know, oh, this is stupid if you can't make money at it and all that sort of stuff that, you know, I mean, you, you know, what are your thoughts? Jeez, that was a lot. Sorry. Um, I, just, I think, I well, I think one, you need to get, you need to get Blake on here to do a podcast. Dude, I did a podcast with Blake, bro. I know, but like get him again. <laughs> you were, you were saying stuff about him that I wasn't really familiar with. And I was like, man, I'd, I'd like to know that. That'd be, I'd listen to that. Dude, if you should go back and have you listened to the Blake podcast? I thought I did. I thought I was current on all of them. He talked now, about like almost dying getting in, the, in France and the bull. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. He told me that when I was out there with him. <laughs> yeah. It was a brutal. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a, it was an awesome podcast. Like he talked about hiking Hadrian's wall and uh, with no food, he was like eating berries for like two days because he'd run completely out of money. It's a, it was an amazing story. Amazing story. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm now remembering his bull story in a field and trying to hide from a bull behind hay, and that didn't work. Um, <laughs> uh, what was the question? <laughs> no. I don't know, bro. We just started. I, just, I don't even know what the question you was. You were on a roll there for a second. Uh, sorry. Like, hey, my bad, going? dude. What do I think? I don't know what to think. Uh, well, it was about um, parents, you know, how to deal with oh. the, the struggles if you're – you know, overcoming obstacles in order to do the things that you want to do. Parents hating on whatever it is you want to do or not having enough money, that sort I mean, of thing. I've, I've seen both sides of that coin, right? Like my parents were supportive in a way where, hey, if I got good grades in school, they helped me afford my first paintball gun and, and a few paintball accessories from then on. But when I really want to get into it, right, and, you know, obviously paintball isn't uh, a cheap thing to get into, I had to do it myself, right? So they facilitated um, my ability to get jobs and to keep jobs so I could afford to play paintball and pay it out of my own pocket. Um, you know, but I've seen it where in teams I've coached and worked with through the, the shock organization, the shock program that we had, the shock kids program we had going on where, you know, some parents weren't really fully supportive, you know, and kids had, you know, players had to find rides with, with their teammates and, you know, they had to work multiple jobs. So I can, I can feel that. But um, I mean, like you were saying, Maddie, I mean, if it's, if it's your dream, and this is something you want to do, give it a shot, right? You know, test yourself. And in, in doing that and then getting involved in paintball will definitely build your character and it will, you know, it'll it'll prepare you for things you're going to face later on down the road in life. And that's for sure, right? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. And, dude, yeah, I, if money's the problem, get a job, you know? Yeah, if, and get if, two. It, yeah. I, dude, I mean, when I was going to school um, at San Diego State, I had three, or, yeah, three jobs, I like put up signs on Friday night 
Like I'd go to a party and wouldn't drink and then leave the party and then drive up to North County, San Diego, up by this graveyard where this new housing complex was going in. And I'd drive this route, getting pulled over by cops and asking what the hell I was doing. And, I'd, and you had to put the signs up at a certain hour. So, it, so I basically had to have them up by Saturday morning. So I'd drive up there, put the this, put this, you know, signs up on the side of the road, and then have to drive back up there on Sunday night, sometimes after practice, and pull them down. That was one job. I fixed autocockers at a paintball store, and then I was a manager at a movie theater all at the same time, all while going nice. to school and playing pro paintball. So I have, I don't have a lot of sympathy when people like come up to me and they're like, oh, do we have to drive so far in order for, for practice? I'm like, how far do you have to drive? Dude, it's like two and a half hours, three hours, you know, to the field. I'm like, dude, kick rocks, bro. We had to drive up to NorCal from, from, uh, from SoCal for like 20 times in a year to play an excessive. So don't have sympathy for you. Sorry. You know, oh, you need to get, get a job. Like I, it's one of those things. Again, it's like the world is trying to make everybody soft. Like if you need money, get a job. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, do some mow lawns, babysit, have a paper route. I don't know. Look online and come up with some cool shit you can make and sell it on, on Etsy. Whatever, dude, just find a way. That's the that's, that's the that's the thing, though. In finding a way, you will gain strength. Don't sit there and complain about there not being a way. Find a way. Make it happen. You know, yeah. that's that's the shit that you need in life to be successful in anything that you do. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, because if, say, if you're not going to do it, someone else is, and they're going to take your spot. <laughs> yeah, I bring this up a lot, and it, and, and, and because it's badass, but there's, a, there's an article, it's, it's, the, it's, uh, it's on Cracked, it's one of their most highest read articles of all time, and the dude just kills it in this, uh, and it's like, you literally should have to read this article on your 18th birthday, every single human, no, forget that, like your 14th birthday, you should have to read this article. It's five <laughs> harsh truths that will make you a better person, and it's just like, just the no bullshit, this is how things work, like things that kids really, not, not like, oh, you did your best, good job, you tried really hard, everybody gets a trophy, like, no, like, here, people need shit, people need to, people consume things, like, the nice guy doesn't always get the girl, like, just stuff, it's, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it, just real things that, that, that particularly kids or just in pe- human beings in general need to hear, um, that is just how it is, man. It's a brutal world out there. And the earlier you steal yourself to that, the better. Amen. Yeah. Preach it, baby. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, I, it's, uh, I'm, I'm real excited about next year. I'm excited about you being on one eight seven. Well, this year. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, uh, you know, to, to seeing how things turn out. There's this, there's, you know, and that's just one of the things that there's so many storylines for this season in the PSP that it's, it's going to be pretty fascinating to see what actually occurs. Like, can, you know, it's like Heat looks real strong. Um, Impact just came off their best year ever. Dynasty should be, you know, magicians with all the changes that just happened. You know, and you have, you know, 187 just got stronger by picking you guys. You could literally, like, X Factor, I mean, there's, the Ironman could be amazing. Who knows? Like, there's so many different teams that legitimately have a chance this year that it's going to make it really interesting. And then what teams are coming up? You know, how good's Rebel going to play this year? Like, Rebel was a huge outlier last year, and it was amazing to see what they did. And, mm-hmm. you know, what sort of look are they going to – I mean, I'm sure they've been grinding all off season so they can show up and surprise people this year. So it's, uh, it's definitely going to be a pretty fascinating 2015. So, um, I'm stoked. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm stoked too. So uh, are you going anywhere, any, any place? Are you going to teach some clinics? Are you playing in overseas? Like, where's GI got, got you going? Are you going to play on some teams in Europe? What's the deal? Uh, I'm hoping to. I don't say I might be going over there and just and just working for GI at the European events. Um, but I hope to play. I've talked to some teams. There's a a team out of 
France, GK, Paris. I've talked to them. Um, I know those guys pretty well. They're, they're a good group of guys. Um, clinics. I talked to a guy out of Nova Scotia the other day um, and, a, and a group of guys out of Germany that, that want me to come out and do a clinic. Uh, in February, the first weekend, I have the 10th Boston Combine, um, 10th annual Boston Combine that I'll be heading out there with Ryan Greenspan, Mr. Nikki Kuba, and Brad McCurley to teach the wonderful people of the Northeast um, and that has been an event that I look to, I look forward to every year with Boston paintball and Anthony and Lori, um, and T2 to get out there and just get crazy. Cause we have a good time. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of paintball in a short amount of time with like 64 different participants. Um, there's contests, there's prizes, uh, there's shenanigans and debauchery. It's just, it's a good, crazy. Hey, it's a tradition, man. It's a tradition. It's tradition. You're right. Yeah. You're hey, a good it's job. A tradition. <laughs> tradition deal with it <laughs> uh, that's that's been the, the punch lines for it so yeah there's that um and i'm sure traveling i'll be heading when i head out there to do the combine i'll be meeting it with the 187 guys for the first time and i know uh we'll be going over our practice schedule and, and getting stuff fired up for the season which i mean geez it's january it'll be you know the season will be kicking off here pretty soon which is unbelievable yeah well you're getting older bro and as you get older time <laughs> goes way faster uh, it goes fast whenever. It doesn't matter how old you are. <laughs> I did, did, I can remember that. I can remember thinking about that the first when I got on shock, right? When measuring, because I was never sure what events I'd be playing in divisional and what I could afford. But once I got on aftershock, he, I started measuring things by events. And things went by really quick with travel and tournaments and clinics. Um, that's That's how I measure things, by events. It's not by the month. It's by what event we're coming up to or where we're going. Yeah, it's its own clock, for sure. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially when you have to, like, prepare stuff. Like, oh, God, it's only eight weeks until the next event. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, no, it's 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 going to be a sweet year, man. Well, best of luck at uh, in all your endeavors. Um, we Thank are you. Of, we are out of time. Thank you very much for, for uh, Skyping in here. And ble- Anytime. Blessing us with your with your stories and your wisdom. I hope it was and your beard. interesting. It's unfortunate. Do you still have your beard? Did you, you didn't cut your beard? Oh yeah. Beard. I have not shaved since November. Yeah. That was another question is <laughs> such ridiculously good facial hair, Nick. Great. Thanks. Thanks for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh so yeah, we'll have um again a couple more podcasts coming at you here soon. Dan Napoli, uh, who runs Disconnected Productions, who creates the roster and the artifact series and it's been in the game for a long time. Um, so looking forward to picking his his brain about some stuff and to see what Planet Eclipse has in store coming up next year as far as uh, content is concerned. Um, definitely check out the the most recent uh, series of the roster, which is starring Chicago Aftershock. That is out right now. Um, and then we will also be having Ryan Greenspan and uh, Marcelo Margot back here in the studio as soon as I can throw a lasso over them and get them in here. So I don't know when Good exactly luck. that's going to be, but... It will be relatively soon. So, uh, yeah, so look forward to those. And then also the PSP will be dropping the schedule here, hopefully in the next week or week and a half. I don't know exactly when it's going to hit, but it's definitely coming up pretty soon. Sooner the better. Yeah, and uh, I think it's going to contain a few surprises. So, Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, so thank you guys for tuning in to The Real Deal Podcast, and I will see you guys next time. Peace.